Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Ben Coco. Dino DNA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. That's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh... Your opinion, man. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to. Oh God damn it! This is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Did you forget where you were? I forgot. Wait, what? What podcast <laughs> is this? Head Who are Alicia? you? <laughs> huh? Where am I? Oh my God! All right, let's try it again. All right. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of Retrograde. I am your host, Jorge Montoya. And here with me is my name is Austin Bates. Jesus, Austin! Like the <laughs> you did not like bring the same vibe I did. Here I you am. Want me to bring the same vibe. I'll bring bring the same, Do it again. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of Retrograde. I am your host Jorge Montoya, and this is Austin Bates. That's me. I am the host of Retrograde Podcast. Well, you are the co-host. I am the host. Host. We're both hosts. It doesn't say that in the contract. There is, there's a, there's no contract. There is here. I'm looking at it. Well, I, I obviously I didn't see it, so it's invalid. No, totally valid. Yeah, you're just sleeping, Austin. Come on, man. Come wake up. I don't know how to segue to the rest of this. I don't know how to segue either, because I like that contract. I've also never seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen this movie. I have never seen this movie. No. All right. So today we're going to be talking about, if you're curious about what Austin hasn't seen, today we're going to be talking about Planet of the Apes, the 1968 film. Everyone's familiar with Planet of the Apes to a certain degree. Now, maybe you've never seen it, but you've heard of it or you've seen the poster or something. But everybody knows about this. Yeah, this movie's been remade or the story's been, the franchise has been rebooted like twice in our lifetime. And I'm curious as to why the fuck would you do this twice? You know what I mean? Like, why? Like, I'm confused because I saw this as a kid and I remember being bored as fuck. Did you see the 1968 one or did you see the Tim Burton remake? I saw the Tim Burton remake for sure. I feel <laughs> I, I definitely feel like I've seen Planet of the Apes, but it's so like blurry. You know what I mean? It's kind of like when you you know, you've been to this place. But your memory is so foggy and you can't place it. Who was I there with? What time? What day? You know, it's it's, a it's very foggy, very okay. foggy. I do remember that my uncle had the video, the VHS set mm-hmm. um, and he lent it to my dad. And I remember because it was a bulky VHS uh, collection of like five movies. <laughs> they made five movies they yeah. made five of these motherfuckers and even as a kid even as a kid i was like why did they have to make so many of these <laughs> like star wars you could make 30 of those movies and i would kind of understand because it's a galaxy <laughs> it's a universe because there's a lot of things to star wars right there's a galactic empire there's like different races there's like smugglers who are kind of in between uh, there's different languages. There's the force. There's all the ships and everything. There's a lot of things to that make Star Wars Star Wars. The only thing that I know makes Planet of the Apes Planet of the Apes is that their apes are in charge and the humans are slaves. Basically, how do you do that five times? <laughs> 
very detailed, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, the new Andy Serkis one kind of has a clear direction. Yeah. So it makes sense that it's a trilogy because you have... But that, that one, don't don't the apes take over Earth? Uh, Yes. In the original Planet of the Apes, is it Earth that the guy is on or is it a well, different planet? Well, well, okay, so we'll talk about that a little bit because that's a lot of spoiler spoiler territory. As a kid, I was just so confused about why this was five films. Like the end of <laughs> Circus one kind of makes sense because it's it's a trilogy. You see the beginning of when the apes took over, yeah. the middle when things you know settle, but they're still tense, and then the third one where shit hits the fan and it's a war. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. But five films? What the fuck? What are they about? What are the, what are the titles of those films? Like for the oh, remakes? Oh, they're... oh, honey, honey. Let me tell you. The titles of the films, of all five films, are so stupid. <laughs> so stupid. I don't know. I think I don't really like War for the Planet of the Apes. No, no, no. I think that's a kind of a dumb title. The new ones have dumb titles. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, what the fuck is the second? Dawn, Dawn, Dawn. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. War for the Planet of the Apes. It's very stupid titles, but the films are pretty they- great. They just like connect each other to oh, Planet of the Apes from 1968, starring Charlton Heston. Exactly, like it's that's it. There are five of these films originally, <laughs> and their titles are so awful. I can't tell you the order. The only way I could tell you the order is because I'm looking at the list right now. Tell on me, Wikipedia. tell me the order. So it starts off with Planet of the Apes. Okay, beautiful title. The first one, beautiful, easy peasy. Can we agree? Yes. Second one, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Beneath the Planet of the Apes. What's Beneath the Planet of the Apes? Shit, I don't know. Okay. I, I like that one. It's, Not gonna lie, I kind of like that one. Hey, it's It has some intrigue, okay? Escape from the Planet of the Apes. That's kind of basic. I don't like that one. Basic bitch. Like, you go from Beneath the Planet of the Apes to Escape? Like, I'm, I'm less interested in this one. Yeah. Followed up by the fourth one, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. I thought we escaped from the Planet of the Apes. Are we going back to conquer them? I guess it's like the fourth season of Lost or something, where you (laughs) just have to go back to the island, or whatever season it was. I don't know. I never saw the fucking show. Now, the last one, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. What? What? So Isn't that the same as Conquest? I don't know, man. Hey, so tell me, what was the third one? What was the third one of the the franchise called? Escape. That took you a second. No, I have really good memories, so... Oh, I, you're not going to trick me on this one. Damn it. Yeah. You know what you got to do? You got to ask me at the end of the episode. I'll ask see you. if I can remember. I, I, I will not look it up. I promise. <laughs> OK, I will <laughs> ask you. I'm going to ask you at the end of this episode and at the end of the main of the uh, after the review and everything. Yeah, because I guarantee the... I guarantee you, you're just not going to know. Uh, it's just, there's no way. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or Indiana Jones and the Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones and. Um, uh, the Last Crusade. The Last Crusade. Kind of forgot about it, but those are grand spanking titles. You know, this. Is I, just I like, like how the the reboots they did the same thing of like, all right, let's let's add a different verb and Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I think what? it's those those new new titles now mean a lot more than before. You told me the names of the old ones, and you know what? I realized from looking at this, you shouldn't have that many ofs. Or four <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in titles. Yeah, it's weird. Empire Strikes Back, A New Hope, Return of the Jedi. That's one of. 
Like, yeah. damn, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, just too much, too many you know options for us. This is this is the first movie we're doing on the podcast that predates Star Wars, and yet we we're still talking about Star Wars. We're still talking about Star Wars. I was gonna mention that. I was like, God, every fucking episode we do we do Star Wars. I feel like every episode. I feel like a loser. We talk about Star Wars, and every episode you forget the last episode we did. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Yeah, forget memory. everything before we hit record. <laughs> oh, my memory. What are we doing today? So so you've seen Planet of the Apes before. I feel like I've seen the original five. You've seen all five? Oh, shit. Actually, holy shit. I've seen all of them. <laughs> oh. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. Oh, fuck me. I have seen all of them. I've seen all... Have you seen every single Planet of the Apes movie? Yes! Dude, you're a Planet of the Apes fanboy. <laughs> no! I don't want to be! Get me out of here! I'm just that Eric Andre meme. Get me out of here! You damn dirty apes! Uh, and That's funny. But, okay, okay. Two, okay. I have technically seen all of them. Right? Yeah. But I've kind of half watched Planet, like the original five. With the original ones, I have, it's foggy. It's a haze, you know? Because mm-hmm. I definitely remember sitting down watching them with my dad. As a kid, I was super curious. What the fuck's beneath the Planet of the Apes? Why are they escaping? Why are these titles so dumb? I remember, and there's so many scenes that I could like recollect and remember, but I can't, they're not cohesive in my mind. You know, I mean, going back to Star Wars, because we have to suck its stick every episode. Um, <laughs> there's like, you know, you could take out a scene. I could explain to you a scene in Empire and you would know, oh, that kind of vaguely takes place between here and here. Right. Mm-hmm. With this one, I can remember scenes. I can remember the apes being chained up and walking through an industrial place, but I not really know the context of it. I can remember them two apes in the human world like hiding a baby a child near one of those like do you know the context no i don't know the context i i I remember the scenes i don't remember the context Uh, that's what i mean so you remember those scenes and you can't place them as to why it's happening or where it's happening and which movie it's happening (laughs) exactly i remember damn the 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 first one a little bit more and then the second one them going in beneath there's like pipes i know that one of them takes was filmed at uc irvine yes i i don't know which one though <laughs> it was filmed at our alma mater yeah which, which says a lot about our school i'm like <laughs> i remember going on the tour for uci and then they said that i'm like oh cool i want to go to school where they shot a movie <laughs> but i never watched the movie <laughs> then it's like conquest of the planet of the apes it's like what the fuck Oh, I guess it was a bad movie. <laughs> Actually, though, they did film the exterior. They used one of our buildings as an exterior for Poltergeist. Another movie I haven't seen. Oh, Poltergeist is dope. That so future good. episode. It has to be. Has to be. And I know that there's a bunch of like creepy stories about the production of that movie, too. But yeah, absolutely. That, that, that would be a fun one to talk about. But, I mean, that's our connection. We... They filmed at our school. I vaguely remember watching it as a kid. I mean, yeah, I saw them, but I don't really... I technically saw them, but I really never really understood what was happening or how mm. I, how they're contextualized or 
Do you want to hear what else came out in 1968? Give it to me. All right. So the top grossing movies of 1968, uh, Planet of the Apes is in the top 10. Uh, okay. Number one is Funny Girl. Uh, I feel like I've heard of the name before, but I don't, I don't know what it is. Number two is 2001, A Space Odyssey. That was the second highest grossing film of the year? Yes. Wow. Yep. It came out for like movies that are this old, like the records are kind of like weird on them. So if you go on different movie sites or for box office data, the it's a little bit um, inconsistent. But generally, these these are the top 10. Apparently, that one came out at the same time as Planet of the Apes. If you go on Wikipedia, oh wow, like at the beginning of 1968. They're competing against each other. <laughs> Number three is The Odd Couple. Sounds familiar. I don't think I've ever seen it, though. Yeah, they think they remade it with, with Matt Perry and, and the guy from Reno 911. It's like uh, one guy is, there are two single dudes who have different opposite personalities. It's based off of a play. This one had Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Two like old actors from old Hollywood. Okay. Number four was Bullet, the Steve McQueen driving movie. <laughs> I, I do, don't know. I do remember that one. I've never seen it, but I, I'm familiar with it. Number five is Romeo and Juliet, but this is the one where like the actress is super young, and it's like a little weird. Knowing the director's making them do these scenes, and the you know the girl's underage. It's like it's really weird. I was going to say, I don't think we need to watch Romeo and Juliet to know that it has an age well. Yeah. I remember I watched that in like high school or something. I'm sure we all did. Number six is Oliver. The Oliver where he's like, please, sir, can I have some more? Oh, oh wait. Okay. And then number seven is uh, Planet of the Apes. All right. And then eight is Rosemary's Baby. Oh. And then you, yours, mine, and ours. And the line in the winter. Uh, familiar with Planet of the Apes, obviously. Mm -hmm. Rosemary's Baby, dope as fuck. Yeah. Yours, Mines, and Ours. I think that was remade with Steve Martin. Or no, 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 no. Dennis Quaid, I think. Yep. Yep. It, it was definitely 2005. Shit. Good memory. You did it. You remembered something. Goddamn. <laughs> also coming out this year, Once Upon a Time in the West, Hang Him High, another Western. And the Beatles' Yellow Submarine. Uh, oh, Barbarella came out this year, too? What? I don't know about that. Fucking Yellow Submarine. Ugh. You don't like that movie? Man, if I have to be high to enjoy a film, I, come on. <laughs> what does it really have to offer? It's got cool songs and stuff. I don't know. I, I like it. Ugh. I saw it when I was very young, though. Yeah, I, I saw it as a grown man for the first time, and I was like, I don't get it. Uh, have you seen Once Upon a Time in the West? Uh, I feel like I've seen those westerns. Uh, oh, that one's... I, I think that one's like one of the best ones. You know I what? haven't seen like a ton of them. I, I didn't see it, actually. I saw Once Upon a... Or, no, no. <laughs> the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That's the one I saw. Ah. Uh, um, yeah, that one's a classic. Yeah, this one doesn't sound familiar. We should do a western at some point. We should. I have a friend who's like super into westerns. Like He's like a western encyclopedia. Who is it? Uh, my friend Israel. He's, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we should get have him on an episode and have have us 
uh, lecture lecture us about westerns and how we should know things because we went to film school. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, uh, I'm I'm down to I'm down to be taught. Very wild year. The fact that 2001 Space Odyssey is number two mm-hmm. is pretty interesting, considering that it's kind of a boring film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like man. Look, I know every. I like that movie too, but it's it's really boring in the beginning. Maybe I'm gonna get my uh, movie card revoked from the film community. Uh, it's very long <laughs> and it's very boring. Uh, people are like, it's about life. It's about existential i i don't get it man it's about a robot gone crazy the ending is dope as fuck but do i understand it no the very beginning the very first you know how that movie has four parts shit i could barely remember man i saw like two years ago god for the first time really no 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 i saw it growing up but i rewatched it two years ago when it was re-released for imax saw it at the cinerama dome or wow no it wasn't in the dome actually it was in a 70 millimeter projector at the Arclight Hollywood, but it wasn't in the inside the dome. I still as boring as I remember it. I think it's uh, Kubrick's. It's one of Kubrick's weakest films, in my opinion. Really? Uh, yeah. Nah. I I, can't. I gotta say, like the way that he made space feel as, like the way that space feels in that movie is comparable to how space feels in like a modern space movie, like Gravity or Interstellar. You know, like the weightless feel of it. I think that's really cool. Look, there's just seeing that's really cool. Hey, look, Kubrick's weakest films are still better than most people's entire filmography. Kubrick has a lot of great films, but A Clark with Orange, Full Metal Jacket, um, Eyes Wide Shut. I love, love. Well, a lot of people don't like that movie, but I, I also really like it. They're fucking wrong. There's that that one scene when Nicole Kidman is is talking to him about how she almost cheated on him. <gasps> that's like one of my most favorite scenes in in a movie. I love I it. Think. It she pounds this dude to the ground. <laughs> she shits on him. <laughs> and it's crazy cuz think about it. That's Tom Cruise. That's yeah. fucking Tom Cruise, man. Like like one of the biggest stars in Hollywood of all time arguably. The crazy thing is, they were married in real life. Yeah. They got together 10 years earlier. <laughs> And this on the set of Days of Thunder, where he's wooing her, yeah. And then ten years later, he has Nicole Kidman just saying, "Nah, man, you ain't shit." <laughs> I was gonna fuck this other dude, but your ass is lucky that I love you. No, your ass is lucky that he didn't pursue me further. Oh, exactly, like, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's incredible. I love that scene. How can people not love this? Oh, maybe we should do that. Do th- save this for an eyes wide shut. Outcast. <laughs> Austin, I 100% agree with you, and I never say that. We disagree yep. on everything. Yeah. On everything. On everything. Everything. No, we've had... Actually, no. I take that back. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we went on this so, huge tangent. <laughs> yeah, so but, Planet oh, of the Apes. But you know what? Planet I think it's, I think it's pretty interesting, because... I think what this conversation has taught as in has enlightened me is that neither of us give a shit about Planet of the Apes. I I'm very interested in it because uh, the screenplay was ri- written by Rod Serling, and Rod, I think he wrote the first draft of it or whatever, but he's credited as the screenwriter. And if you don't know who Rod Serling is, he's the guy who was like the voice of 
the Twilight Zone, like the original one. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. He's that guy. We keep bringing up Twilight in this goddamn podcast. And he's also like a very progressive person when it comes to politics. So I'm wondering if you'll see that in the film. What does that look like? That makes me more intrig- intrigued, knowing that he was involved in it, and that, yeah, what does a what does a progressive science fiction film look like back in 1968? That's a really good question. Um, this really, I mean, you say that it's written by the guy that was part of the Twilight Zone. This sounds like the premise of a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, it's it sounds like something that should only exist in one movie. Like, let's explore this one time and then do something else next time. Not exactly. nine fucking times. <laughs> exactly. That that's the curiosity behind it, and I mean, why why did the studio decide to keep coming back to this? Was it just like just it's just because they it's a recognizable name and people want to just see it? Because oh, I heard about it, or is there maybe something else to it? I'm a little curious. Not adjusted for inflation, this franchise is made over two billion dollars. Man, it's made money. And this was a the original Planet of the Apes was a commercial hit and a critical darling. People loved it. The production stuff is a little bit weird because the way Hollywood made movies back in the 60s isn't the same as how they make movies now. Right. So the budget was five point eight million and the box office return was thirty three million. And it was like the seventh highest grossing movie of the year. It's like right away you can see how different of a world we live in now. Mm, uh, in for like for context, the most recent Planet of the Apes movie, War for the Planet of the Apes, which came out in 2017, budget of 152 million, and the box office return was 489 million. The fucking times, man. This that's what this podcast has really like shown me set the just it's so different and uh, no shit like it's it's been a long time right since 1968 but it kind of puts things in even more perspective you know what i mean and we're just talking about movies (laughs) we're talking about one aspect and honestly not even the most important aspect there's so much other shit that was happening alongside these movies it's insane two things i want to know about this movie is how different is it from the original book that was written in 63? And the other thing is that I know that Rod Serling wrote the movie initially. What changes did he make uh, to the original story and what changes were done to his original draft to make it the theatrical version that we all know or some of us know today? Fair enough. I think if I had to kind of break it down, kind of like how you did, I think I have uh, just maybe like one or two or three. I'm, it's like, uh, what does a progressive film from 1968 look like? Um, there was a film that we sh- were shown with Diane Keaton in it. It was like a third wave feminism film. I, I don't know about third. It was a feminist film mm-hmm. about Diane Keaton kind of exploring her sexuality and stuff. And 
I'm curious if this is going to have that kind of same vibe, you know? So, but I, I think the way you phrased it was beautiful. It was, what does a progressive night science fiction film from 1968 look like? That's what I'm definitely curious about. How does race play into this whole story? Because I don't, you know, I mean, is it obvious or is it in the background or do how di- how far do I have to dig? I don't really know. I can't remember. So I'm curious, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the third one for me is, is this movie fucking entertaining? Because I remember it being boring. (laughs) How is this a commercial darling and a commercial success? I want to know. How is this a critical darling and a commercial success? I want to know. Is this movie full of shit or is it actually good? Is it a movie that was just like, oh, it's this this movie about planets or apes on on a planet. I'm going to go see that because there's nothing else out. I can either watch that or watch some caveman throw a bone in the air and turn into a space shuttle. Thank you. Thank you. Is there actual (laughs) substance to this or is it just people just being bored and going watching it? That's is it actually entertaining? Because I remember these not being entertaining. Oh, you know what else I want to know? What do you want to know? What's beneath the planet of the apes? Shit, I'm kind of curious too. <laughs> I might I, watch the second one too. <laughs> yeah, I might. I was thinking that too. Because when I was reading the title, I was like, oh, okay. And the, the only thing I'll say is if I think watching it was, it was satisfied my curiosity, my recommendation will be yes, it was worth it or no. And I won't say anything else about it. <laughs> Okay, very all right, let's do that sounds really good. I'm down for that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um All right, so I think we're pretty much done with this part of the episode. I think we're going to go watch the film or films. I think we're going to watch the films now. <laughs> let's see how far I get into the second one before I decide whether or not I'm going to finish it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But, but it's going to be about the, the first original Planet of the Apes. Yes. The one that started it all. For reals. Okay, let me ask you, Austin, uh, since we uh-huh. talked about this. Which one, what number is plan- is Battle for the Planet of the Apes? Last one. The very last one? or Yeah, it's it, the last one. Of the of new the, trilogy or the original? Of the originals. Okay, yeah, you have a good memory. It goes Fuck Planet, you. Beneath, Escape, Conquest, Battle, Planet of the Apes, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, War for the Planet of the Apes. You're you're full of shit, and I hate you. But there are three more TV made for TV movies that we didn't oh, talk about. Fuck you! <laughs> I guess there's a comic where they crosses over with Star Trek. Oh, I hate this even more now. <laughs> All right, oh. we will see you after watching the movie. Bye. Go get him. Security police. I'm in charge of this man. No longer, madam. He is now in the custody of the Ministry of Science. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Okay, everybody, we are back from watching Planet of the Apes from 1968. So, rewatching it for the show, uh, what did you think of the movie? Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely uh, half and half. Uh, half of me enjoys it. The other half doesn't really give a shit. Wow. What a great way to start this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's weird because you can't help but have your expectations before you watch the film. Right. Right. You know, sometimes you watch a film 
having already known the ending, and you appreciate it even more. A recent example that happened was uh, Arrival with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. Mm -hmm. That was a film that the first time I saw it, I was, medi I was you know, lukewarm on. Uh, but every time I've seen it afterwards, I love it more and more and more. That didn't happen with this one. It is, it is an older movie. You know, this is a movie that, takes, that was filmed before Star Wars, right? And Star Wars kind of changed what science fiction was. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is before all that. It it kind of moves really slow. Some of the special effects are like really goofy, especially in the second one. <laughs> but but there's some stuff that I know about the movie beforehand going in, right? That when I look and watch this movie for the first time, I'm like, this is this is actually really ironic. You know, do you do we talk much about Charlton Heston? before not too much are, are you are you are you a charlton hessen fan i'm not i am not but there's some stuff that i found i knew about him watching this movie and then i like looked it up and i'm like oh my god they kind of picked the perfect slash like worst guy to be taylor in this movie <laughs> really yeah but we can get into that later maybe we should sum up the movie for uh, our listeners who haven't seen the movie or maybe they've seen the movie a long time ago and need a little bit of a refresher on what happens in this movie. Okay. I'm, I'm down for that. Go for it. You go for it, man. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fine. Not summarizing this one. I'm good. <laughs> okay. So this movie, which is based off of a book by French author, which we will get into the differences between the planet of the apes film from 1968 and the, uh, I'm, I have, I don't know how to speak French, but it's like. Le boutou de l'Oeps. Close? That's, oh, really? La planate de Desingis. I don't know how to say that in, in French, but that came out in 1963. And the author was Pierre Bouel. Bouel? Bouy. Bouel. Bouy? B-O-U-L-L-E. Bonjour. Um, which is really funny because he also wrote this uh, book called The Bridge Over River Kwai. Have you heard of that movie? I have heard of it. Uh, they reference it in Parks and Rec. <laughs> they reference it, yeah, all the time. But th there's something really funny that happens in the second one, which he has nothing to do with, that relates to The Bridge Over River Kwai. Th that's the thing about this movie. I don't see it as just the movie. I see it as like a piece of all these like bigger pictures. And I think if you look at it in that way, it's really entertaining. <laughs> anyway. It sounds like homework. It is a lot of homework, but it's th the fact that it this movie exists is just, it, it kind of blows my mind. You're going to have to convince me. We'll see if I'm convinced by the end. All right, go for it. So Planet of the Apes. It starts off with these American astronauts working for like this fake NASA. I think it's like ANSA on their uniforms. And the main guy, Taylor, he's he's kind of a piece of shit. He's kind of like a, a womanizer. He likes to give people a hard time for the sake of giving them a hard time. And he's on this mission that they don't really have a way to return back to Earth to just like go out and find something. It's really unclear what their mission is. They're on a trip and they're light years away from Earth. Everyone that they know is has already been dead for like a thousand years so george taylor is giving his like little 
self-serving monologue about how does man still kill his fellow man, you know? And then he goes to sleep. He has three other crew members who are already asleep. And then they arrive on this weird planet and the ship crashes. And something happened with one of the astronauts' uh, sleep chamber where they had like aged like a thousand years or something. And she's dead. And she's the only female astronaut on the ship. The other two are Dodge and Landon. And they both die shortly after they land on the planet. But they land on the planet. Taylor, the main guy, gives Landon a hard time about why he joined up. He's like, oh, Landon, you just want to be a hero. Blah, blah, blah. And Landon's like, well, you're a misanthrope. Why'd you even come out here? And Taylor's like, well, I'm a seeker. I just had to know that there was something better than man out there. And then they find some humans that don't talk. And like out in the in the front is like this human that's like way more attractive than everybody else. Uh, they later name her Nova. But as they're like watching the humans eat and gather, these gorillas come out on horseback and guns. And they just like mow the humans down. Like a lot of people die. And they end up killing Dodge, who's the only black character in the movie. He dies second, I guess. I guess that's progress. Kind of, because the first person they killed was a woman. Yeah, so he, he gets shot and dies. Landon gets captured. And our main guy, Taylor, he gets shot in the throat. But they wheel him in to the carriage along with the, the super hot Nova, who's played by Linda Harrison. So they, they take him in to the ape city and there's all these gorillas that are like the, the police. They're the ones that hunt people. They're the, the military. Then there's these like scientists who are chimps and it's implied that the chimps are looked down upon by the elite orangutans. Orangutans. And the chimps are trying to do these like uh, research about the humans because they think that the humans are some kind of primitive ancestor to the apes that walk around ape city and this the lead scientist is dr zira and then she has a boyfriend fiance husband i'm not really sure he's cornelius and he's an archaeologist and he wants to like go out into the forbidden zone and find out more about the origin of humans but the the main guy like the the main orangutan who's trying to keep everything under wraps is a Dr. Zaius. He's like the main antagonist of the, of the film. He does not want Cornelius to find anything. He thinks humans should just be executed. He like barely tolerates their, their experiments and their research. Taylor is trying to like communicate with the apes. He's trying to like write messages and Dr. Zaius is like hiding it and stuff. And eventually Taylor he gets his voice back with one of the best lines in the movie. Get your stinking paws off of me, you damn dirty apes. And then everyone's like, whoa, the human can talk because no humans talk in this movie. So Dr. Zira and Cornelius try to figure out where he came from. But Dr. Zaius wants to put him on trial for heresy and have him like castrated and stuff. Eventually, Taylor escapes. He goes with Cornelius and Dr. Zira to the Forbidden Zone to try to find proof that there used to be a race of humans that were intelligent and had a culture. Mm -hmm. And eventually the bad guys, like 
Dr. Zayas, they all catch up. But at this point, Taylor, he now has a gun and he uses it to like hold Dr. Zayas hostage. And they all find out that there used to be humans that lived on that planet that were intelligent, that had a language, the same language as the apes. And Dr. Zayas's gorillas are like hiding and they ambush them. And there's a big uh, shootout, but... There's a shootout. It's not a yeah. big shootout. Yeah, like one gorilla dies. <laughs> and then and then um, Taylor, he holds Dr. Zayas hostage and he bargains for his escape. And then he rides off into the sunset right before Dr. Zayas tells Cornelius, read, read this scripture about, about man. Beware the beast man, for he is the devil's pawn. Alone among God's primates, he kills for sport or lust or greed. Yea, he will murder his brother to possess his brother's land. It's this really like dark passage about how man will kill his brother for his land and everything. And it mirrors what Taylor said in the very beginning of the movie. Tell me though, does man that marvel of the universe, that glorious paradox who sent me to the stars, still make war against his brother? Keep his neighbor's children starving? And Taylor's like, whatever. And he rides off into the sunset with Nova. And Cornelius and Zira are like, what do you think he's going to find, Dr. Zayas? And Dr. Zayas is like, his future. Or, or no, his destiny, his, I think. His destiny. And then he arrests Dr. Zira and Cornelius for heresy. And then they blow up the cave that they found all the human stuff, all the human culture. So that knowledge is suppressed. And Taylor rides off into the sunset only to find the Statue of Liberty in ruins. And the big reveal is that he's been on Earth the entire time. He wasn't on a different planet. He was on Earth. And the humans, I guess they, they got into a nuclear war and destroyed the planet, leaving behind mute humans and intelligent apes and horses and guns. <laughs> And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. I ain't crazy about it. <laughs> Here's the, the crazy thing. The first thing that I wanted to talk about was Charlton Heston mm -hmm. being the main guy. What do you know about Charlton Heston, George? He was in the Ten Commandments and that he's in the 2001 Planet of the Apes film. But that's about it. I don't really know. Like he was a big Hollywood star. I haven't seen too many films from him, so I can't really say too much. That's it? Yeah, it's just those those three facts. In Ten Commandments, Planet of the Apes, he was a big star. I don't really know too much else about him. I didn't okay. I didn't grow up in a household that like loved classic Hollywood. Okay. Um he was a big Democrat in the in early on in the sixties. Uh, he marched with Martin Luther King like he was a part of that March on Washington there's pictures of him with like Sidney Poitier at the the civil rights march and everything really yeah and this movie it kind of, it like we said before it's was kind of written by the twilight zone guy who's also like very progressive he likes to make stories about racism and you can kind of see it in this movie because of the hierarchy of the apes, right? You have the orangutans who are in charge of everything. 
and they look down on the chimps and they use the gorillas as their brute force. They're like police, they're military. They use them to hunt the humans and keep the chimps in line. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, I can see the racism. And there's even a line that Taylor has because he gets put on trial, right? It's like a sham Mm -hmm. trial. And he says, it seems that some apes are more equal than others. Couldn't help but roll my eyes at that part. That that trial scene is very like on the nose kind of. The entire this whole franchise is on the fucking nose. Uh, Are all apes created equal? It's like, okay, I, I see where you're going with this. Yeah. But as the years go on, Charlton Heston's um, political allegiances begin to change. He starts to become a lot more right-leaning. He quits an actor's equity alliance because they refuse to let a white actor play a Eurasian role in Miss Saigon. And he called it racist. <sighs> yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I mean, I was surprised when you said he was a Democrat and that he marched with Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit, I, I did not expect that. He loves to bring that up in all of his like right wing speeches. <laughs> I mean, it is it's like, oh, my God, there's a, a vi- you can watch this on YouTube. I watched it. It's like 20 minutes long. And it's like this. He gives this speech about the culture war on white America and how political correctness is like censoring people. So he's a he's like modern day John Voight. Yeah. Yeah. And this was in ninety ninety nine. Oh shit. The year before ninety eight, he became the president of the NRA, National Rifles Association. Wait, wait, wait. He was the president of the NRA? He was the president of the NRA. Oh for five shit. Five years. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> that was a 98, right? The year before that, he gave this another speech on the, the culture war. And he, I mean, I'm just going to read you this quote. It's it's on Wikipedia. You can find it um, if you Google Char- Charlton Heston. A 1997 speech called Fighting the Culture War in America. Hessen rhetorically deplored a culture war he said was being conducted by a generation of media people, educators, entertainers, and politicians against, and this is the quote, the God-fearing, law-abiding, Caucasian, middle-class Protestant, or even worse, evangelical Christian, Midwestern or Southern, or even worse, rural, apparently straight, or even worse, admitted homo-heterosexuals, gun-owning, or even worse, NRA card-carrying, average working stiff, or even worse, male working stiff, because not only don't you count, you are a downright obstacle to social progress. That quote, if you had said that told, if you had told me that quote came from 2020, from someone... Yeah, uh, it sounds like a fucking Ben Shapiro quote. Yeah, it really... It re- God-fearing, law-abiding, Caucasian, middle-class, Protestant. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Because that whole, like, political correctness stuff. I thought that was just something that was happening in the 2000s. But, I mean, this is a few years before. But, wow, it's been going on for that long, huh? Yeah. In his... The 99 speech he gave um, that I was referencing before about the, the culture war, he gave it to harvard grads 
And you can find it online. It's Charlton Heston, 1999, Harvard. Like, you'll see the speech. In the speech, he, he talks about how it's like almost like a call to action about standing up to political correctness, to, to fight for your freedoms, because that's what Martin Luther King would have done. I'm asking you to disavow cultural correctness with massive disobedience of rogue authority, social directives, and onerous laws that weaken personal freedom. But be careful, it hurts. Disobedience demands that you put yourself at risk. Dr. King stood in lots of balconies. Huh? Wait, was that a reference to when he got shot? You tell me, man. Huh? What? Oh, yeah. shit. He, and he's, he's bringing that up because he wants, he wants people to not be afraid to speak up against political correctness. Oh, honey. And the kind of like political correctness he's talking about is like, how come you can say black pride, but I can't say white pride? That's racist. No, he says that. Yeah. And then, of course, like the, the most ironic thing is him becoming the president of the NRA. I'm curious, was the NRA the same publicly, how they were presented? Were they the same as they are today or is today's way more... Uh, I mean, you can argue how significant Charlton Heston's presidency over the NRA, like, helped make the NRA a little bit more mainstream. Legitimate. I don't not more legitimate, I don't think. It just made them more, it kind of changed the rhetoric, you know? Like, there used to be bumper stickers that say, from my cold dead hands, right? Mm -hmm. But this man says this in, like, this, like, this speech it's, it's also on YouTube at the end of his speech you know he talks about five sacred words and then he has like a stagehand come out and give him a musket and he holds it above his head he's, he's warning Al Gore the potential Al Gore administration that they would take away his second amendment rights from my cold dead hands like as he's like holding this rifle above his head and like the crowd is just going crazy and since then, that has become a part, like, a part of the mainstream NRA culture from my cold dead hands. Like, he didn't mm -hmm. invent it, but he definitely, like, pushed it to the mainstream. Same bullshit, different year. Yeah. And he was, I don't know if you've seen the Michael Moore documentary, Bowling for Columbine. I've never seen it, actually. Well, it's about, like, school shooting. The, 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 and, yeah, I, I know it was and, about that. I didn't know. I've never seen it, actually, though. The interview is kind of like... Oh, did he interviews Charlton Heston? He did. He did. I don't know how I feel about it. It feels a little, um, like, exploitative a little mm -hmm. bit. Because Charlton Heston is going through Alzheimer's at this time. But still, the reason Michael Moore interviewed him was because of the speech that Heston gave in Denver on May 1st, 1999. Just a few weeks after the Columbine shooting kind of taking a like a proactive defense against the attacks that the NRA would face after a school oh, shooting. Fuck. If, I, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh my God. And it's the kind of thing that the NRA does now. Like if there's ever like a school shooting, they have their rhetoric, they have their influencers say these things right after. Yeah. To defend um, Second Amendment rights, you know, mm -hmm. they turned that they, they turned that one 
those kids, the Parkland survivors. They go after them. Yeah. It's like, uh, well, you'll have anything from trying to say, well, this would have never happened if there were guns at the school uh, to flat out saying that it was all a hoax. I mean, that's been happening yeah. more and more. Some people- an elected official in Congress. Oh, Marjorie. Has- uh, Taylor Green, right? She's evil. They're all evil at this point. Because to go, I saw a video of her where there was one, the w- one of the kids, and she's like hassling Hog, right? him. right? Daniel huh? Hogg. But that bitch is just like following him and recording, or she has someone recording the video, and she's just like trying to like egg him on. Oh, it's David Hogg. David Hogg. Yeah, yeah. No, so fuck her, dude. Like David Hogg survived a school shooting, and you're going to turn your followers against him because he dares to speak out? That's the lowest low. Like, I... I think it's shitty how a lot of people are reacting to it. Like, well, if there had been guns, right? That's a shitty response. Yeah. But you somehow found a way to go even lower than that and just say it didn't happen, that it was a hoax. No, fuck her. Like that that kind of um, response to school shooting, it it didn't start with her. Oh, now, now it, you woke me up. It might have like started with the NRA becoming more like about the showmanship because hey we have Charlton Heston as our president so like, yeah, it, I it, it's I didn't even know I didn't even know this was a thing with the NRA it's insane now you got me heated because now I'm yeah. just thinking about all of these people and it's like and look if you want to be pro Second Amendment and what look whatever man I obviously stand where I stand but it's a new low when you have people just constantly oh, yeah. saying that these people that these kids are lying and stuff and you know what they should all be sued and stuff I I well the NRA is bankrupt now yeah. Good. But so there's a moment in this movie. The reason I brought up Charlton Heston being in the NRA and everything and it being so ironic is because Taylor, when he gets his hands on that gun from Cornelius, mm-hmm. never lets it go. There's not one scene where he does not have that gun at his side or in his arms for the rest of the movie. That's it's the first thing, like before they go on their road trip to the Forbidden Zone, Taylor asks. Do you have any any guns? And he's Cornelius. Oh yes, of course. But we won't be needing it. And he's like, Yeah, I'll I'll be the judge of that. And he takes the gun, never lets it go. <laughs> that was a scenario where I'm like, Yeah, man, get get your piece. Like, you know, I don't. But trust when you these know ones. that this guy is going to be the president of the NRA in 30 years, totally different meaning though. <laughs> totally. Like it. That's the whole thing in the film. I'm like, Look, man, I don't trust these monkeys. You know, they've been talking mad shit to you the entire time. You know what? Uh, Get your own, man. And now that you're saying it, I'm like, God, Taylor, what the fuck did you do, boy? There's even the scene where, like, the he's telling apes, hey, don't follow me. I'm pretty handy with this. And he holds up the rifle. And, bro, if you side by side that with his speech, with the cold dead hands, it's like, damn. He was this guy all along. Well, it's, uh, you see, uh, you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Or yeah. what's that quote from the Dark Knight? That's it. That's if that's you, it? Yeah. And uh, I think... That's the ad right there. That I can see. <laughs> that's the ad right there. That's the ad. Yeah. Yep. It's just so, so funny to me. I read this thing about Charlton Heston and how he kind of changed over the years. And nobody knows, like, what it was that made him switch. I wanted to you know? ask. Why, why suddenly? I kept looking. I kept trying to read stuff. But, you know, like, there's... I, I wasn't going to, like, read his biography. I'm sorry. I, I don't... I wasn't that 
committed to it to read his entire biography. It might say on there, but I mean, yeah, outright in the in the immediate public, it's not out there. Here's what my theory is. I think Charlton Heston, he played these larger than life characters. You know, he played Moses. He played Ben-Hur. He played these like classic heroes. And he kind of picked roles where he could continue playing the hero. Right? And he's like 45 years old by the time this movie comes out. In about four years, he becomes, you know, full Republican. And then, you know, years after that, he becomes the president of the NRA. I think that he, I mean, I'm, I don't know, because I don't, I don't know him, but from what I've been reading is, I think he kind of um, wanted to, to stay being that larger than life person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when you become the, the president of the, the NRA, like you are that person. You're a president. People are excited to see you because you're Ben-Hur, you're Moses, you're George Taylor from Planet of the Apes, you know? That's, that's, he, he gets his audience again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's my theory. No, no, I, I think that's actually pretty legitimate. I mean, it's hard to say, honestly. And we're not psychiatrists. So at this point, we're just guessing. But, I mean, that makes sense. When he was campaigning, when he left the guild, the Actors Guild or whatever. Actors Equity? Yeah, the Actors Equity over the uh, the Eurasian uh, role that a white per- person couldn't play it. To me, yeah. that was screaming very much of like the person that's like, well, I'm an artist and I should be able to play whatever I want to play. Uh, if I want to be black, I could be black. If I want to be a tree, I could be a tree, you know? <laughs> um that's kind of what that sounds like yeah i mean this is the this was during the 60s so there's an increasing i mean you have the civil rights movement you have third wave feminism coming in uh after that you know i think there is this growing sense of responsibility in hollywood where it's like okay we have to be a little bit more conscious granted it's a slow process right one that we're still going through today but i mean if you look at hollywood back in the 40s 50s like it was very republican so there is this shift and I don't think he was, my initial thought was he wasn't a fan of that change. He wanted to be the actor that could play and embody anyone. He, he, you know, he wanted to be able to, to, uh, make jokes at, uh, other people's expenses because it was just a joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of what that sounded like. And yeah. I think he just, it started, it started off with this and it just kind of snowballed into becoming the president of the NRA. It becomes very much about like protecting white culture because white culture is under attack. That's what he thinks. Very much so. And when in reality, it's like this giant pie used to all belong to white people. And now you have to share it with, with others. And it's like, no, this is all mine. Go away. I'm under attack. It's a shame that, that the man who starred in this film went down that path. But, but um... I, I think if you'd really scrutinize uh, Taylor's actions throughout the film... He's a very flawed protagonist. Oh, absolutely. You don't even have to you don't have to have to look that far. He's very flawed. Yeah, and I think it kind of adds to it because yeah. he he starts this movie with his that monologue, right? That's just like no one's listening to you, dude. <laughs> You're not the hero. And then the that monologue comes back to him in the form of the the ape scripture and he just dismisses it. He's an asshole to his astronaut friends Mm -hmm. you know nobody likes him 
they try to mate Nova with Taylor. And he has this line about how, oh, there is so much love making, but no love. So many girls, but I, I couldn't find anyone to love. And it's like, you didn't, you didn't try. You're the problem, dude. And he never, he never sees that. He acts like he's better than everybody else. He leaves Earth because it's too, like, depressing and awful for him. But he never once considers that he's the problem. Or part of the problem. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say he's interesting. I don't think he's an interesting character. I was never one moment riveted by what Taylor was saying or doing. Yeah. I was actually kind of surprised at some points. What surprised you? There's a scene in the movie where he's in a cage and he's trying to write a message to the the apes that are interested in him, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't listen to their conversation. He doesn't know that he should be writing this message with some tact because Dr. Zayas is coming and he doesn't like the human behavioral studies. And then Nova, is she sees him writing in the sand. So she starts like scribbling in the sand and he pulls her hair and throws her like backwards. Yeah. And, and then there's another guy who's like, hey, that wasn't cool. And then he picks a fight with the guy. Classic shitty dude behavior. This is the worst thing you can do right now. I mean, it was a shitty thing. The way I saw it was that he was just so selfish and so desperate for attention and to be to be heard. Exactly. Because his, his voice was always heard that, yes. you know, he's willing to put people, push everyone else out. Doesn't that sound like the real Charlton Heston? Now it does. <laughs> it sounds like this whole the story behind it and the person Charlton Heston is way more interesting than the film itself. Because I'm riveted by what you're telling me about this, but in terms of the film, I'm like, yeah, it, you know. When you like contextualize it and realize that the guy in this movie is going to become the character he's playing, it adds something to everything he says. Yeah. Yes. It it actually does. There's a line where he he's complaining to to Doctor Zayas, an orangutan. He knows he's an orangutan. And when he sees that his friend has been lobotomized, the Landon character, he's like, you fried his brain, you bloody baboon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, you know he's not a baboon. No, no, no. At that point, I'd be like, no, fuck you. I'm a, like, fuck you, man. Like, you're a baboon. You're a monkey. Like, fuck you. Okay. You, you didn't have to do this to him, but you did. There, there were moments where I was like, you know what? You be shitty as much as you want, Taylor, because you know what? Fuck these guys. <laughs> Because there was an uppity nature to the, to, especially to the orangutans, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. there's just the whole, like, wow, him. I mean, gr- like, they're like, oh, humans, I mean, you're dumb and you can't learn and me, 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 me. <laughs> and granted, they're right, but it's still yeah. like the way they carry themselves, where it's like, all right, you know what? Like, chill the fuck down, dude. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, it's very weird because. You're right. It is kind of like the person that he's going to become. He becomes this guy that has to hold a gun and tells everyone what to do. And He tells everyone what to do and complains when other people tell him what to do. Yeah. Like he's, he wants people to stand up against political correctness. But in the same speech, he brags about how he showed up to a Warner Brothers shareholders meeting and complained about Ice-T's cop killer. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? No. Well, Ice-T was in this group called Body Count, and in their first album, they released this song called uh, Cop Killer, which is like a fantasy song about how a guy is so fed up with police brutality, he starts killing cops. Mm -hmm. And 
Charlton Heston, he protested this song and read the lyrics to the board and it was kind of bragging about how now they pulled the album. And it's like, how are you telling people that political correctness is bad because it's censorship, but yet you're censoring Ice-T? That's the hypocrisy that's been yeah. around and is still around. So, uh, man. You said iced tea, and I was like, that man complained about a drink? And then you said, and then you said, like, body counts. Like, okay, you're, re- you're, you're referencing something else. I know who iced yeah. tea is. He's on the Law and Order. Yeah, he now, now he plays a cop. Yeah, now he plays a cop. <laughs> <laughs> you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. <laughs> that is the, that's my quote at the end of this. It's not even you're a quote from this movie. quote from another movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One of my things about this film is that I, I appreciate some of the things that they're doing. You, you, right? Like, mm-hmm. there are things that I admire. I just don't like the execution. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. it was kind of boring. I think it, it is kind of boring. Like, especially if you go into it not knowing the context. And they spend a lot of time wandering around the desert. You know, it's almost half an hour. They, they spend a long time wandering in the desert with uh, Taylor trapped in the cage. They spend a long time at that cliffside, at the site. Yeah. And it just doesn't feel like there's any momentum happening. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not... You, you don't know when they're going to find something. You're just kind of walking around aimlessly. Yeah, like, it's just, it's weird because there's no, like, momentum. It doesn't feel like we're going somewhere. It just feels like, well, we might find something. And at first, there's that mystery, right? When they're going through the desert where it's like, oh, what are they going to find? They're, cl- they're like, not on Earth. You know, I mean... I knew that they were on Earth. I didn't know. You didn't know? I knew. No. Uh, I knew what the twist was and everything. I had it spoiled even before I saw the film in the dumbest fucking way possible. Yeah, I had the film spoiled for me. Even before I saw it with my dad, I had the film spoiled uh, accidentally. How? Because the cover of the VHS (laughs) box had the Statue of Liberty on it. Oh my god. And it had one of the apes on there as well. Google it. Planet of the Apes VHS. Oh my god. The twist of the film is right there. Yes. Yeah. That is the dumbest. Nobody gave a shit. Nobody gave a shit back then. Nobody. See, I thought that in the end he would find a spaceship and then go back to Earth and see that it was destroyed. That's what I thought it was. I didn't. But like as the movie's going on, I'm like. They're speaking English and he's not like concerned about this. They can understand written English. Those are horses, not alien horses. Those are just straight up horses. They give you hints. You you said it earlier with that quote, aren't all apes created or whatever whatever the fuck that quote is. Like that's clearly that idea is still around written in some text that someone read. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he never like really questions it. And it's, I think it, like, if I was a scientist, I would be questioning it. Like, why do they understand? Like, as a as someone who's, like, living in 2021, you know, I'm, like, I'm noticing those things. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, were people in the 60s, do they just not care? But I well, think it makes sense at the end. Yeah. Like, Well, it's one of those things where you might be watching it for the first time thinking, well, it's a movie, you know, yeah. you need to suspend your dis- dis- you need to suspend your disbelief for a little bit. You know, the, the monkeys can talk. English. That's just we don't want subtitles. Audiences are too stupid to read. Correct. So fuck it. Just you know, let them speak English. Um, we'll, we'll just have you know, we'll sprinkle in these bits of dialogue 
to hint at what the ale- what the uh, the uh, slavery allegory that we have going on, right? Like, yeah, that is as an audience member, it's like okay, they're just doing this because it's a movie, it's a Hollywood film meant to entertain. And then you see the ending, it's like oh no, this was part of the entire. There was there were yeah. bits and pieces to it, the doll, everything <laughs> built up to this uh, <laughs> built up to this reveal. So it's it's kind of clever. It has that Twilight Zone-esque twist ending, right? That you yeah. only see in TV because audiences because audiences couldn't take a big picture being so dark and you know what I mean? Yeah. Um I really like that. But as a whole, it's just a, you know, it's a it's just slow. It's not really entertaining. There are as a kid, you know, you see a film that's in black and white. You're like, I don't want to watch that movie. Cause it's boring because it's in black yeah. and white. Yeah. How, do, how does that rationale work out? It, it doesn't, but that's what you think of as a child. I don't want to see this because it's in black and white, meaning it's boring and you grow older and you realize, Oh no, there are a lot of black and white films that are amazing. A, a lot of them. I think mm-hmm. this is a prime example of a film that I just would have found boring. And I did cause I forgot a lot about it. <laughs> and I don't want to take away its accomplishments in terms of makeup and ending, but I've mentioned it before, but a film just has to work for me. It has to work on an instinctive level. You know what I mean? Like it has to reach the monkey side of me, <laughs> the monkey side of you, the monkey side of me, you know, like the, oh, oh ah, ah, you know what I mean? Like when I saw, when I saw the dark night, you know, and I, I get all excited in theater and you kind you could kind of imagine me being a monkey, you know, the monkey side of me was, was the primate in me was, oh my God, this is cool and exciting and fun. So in order for a movie to be good, it needs to speak to the primate inside of you. I think it has to. I think there has to be something that just engages you to, to, I mean, I'm just saying the primate thing to be silly, but it has to engage (laughs) with you emotionally on some level, whether it's a movie that's being really suspenseful or emotionally draining. You know what I mean? I, I talked about Arrival. Arrival doesn't really have any big action scenes and stuff like that. But I kept wondering, what's going to happen? Like, what what are all these pieces? And when you finally see it all come together, it's like a light bulb just turns on. It's like, oh my God, this is incredible. You felt like you went on the journey, a roller coaster. Like the, mm. the inner primate is happy. And with this one, I was like, well, yeah. So like to me, I I know that this movie was a big deal. I knew about that ending. I didn't know the context of the ending because maybe because I saw the the Mark Wahlberg one mm-hmm. where he goes back to Earth and finds Abraham Lincoln. So yeah. I thought something similar happened in this one. But I knew that this movie was a big deal. I knew yeah. that it spawned several sequels. The, the next one being Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Stupid title, but like, yes. Like, I was, that to me is like, there has to be a reason. So when I watch a movie like this, I, I try to look for that reason. I think that reasoning is very obvious to me. Because it's on a, cl- it ends on a cliffhanger. Right? In, in, in term, in for mainstream audiences, like, what happens next? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, I think, why the sequels exist. Maybe you could flesh out the lore as to what happened and the more humans and the other yeah, yeah, apes. Yeah. And- Dude, the, the way that the second one ends, oh my God. Like I told you I was going to um, watch the second one and mm-hmm. just give you a yes or no response as to whether or not I recommend it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to say yes, 
not because it's a, a quote good movie, but because of the last half hour of that movie, I would have never expected what was beneath the planet of the apes. It doesn't make any sense to me how you could make more movies after that one. <laughs> and they did. Really? Most of the movies came after that one. The third oh, one being of... the most successful one of the sequels of the original five. Oh. But now, you, anyway, now you're making me want to watch it. I, I think you can kind of Wikipedia it until the the guy realizes he's on Earth. From that point on, it's like before that, it's all kind of the same shit. The beneath the planet of the apes. Yeah. I wish I could feel differently about this because again, this is a big franchise. There are nine films. Yeah. Nine films to this day. And there are still more planned. There's actually more than that. There's a TV series that they had. Oh, really? And there's a comics. And I think there's three or four video games. So it's a franchise. It's a big franchise. In terms of, I recommend this film in terms of what was achieved behind the camera. Because I think that's way more interesting. Because you could look at the progression of technology in Hollywood through this franchise alone. I don't even think, I mean, maybe Star Wars, but I think you have a really good map as to where Hollywood is headed with these films. Um, because in the Planet of the Apes, the 19th, the, this one that we're talking about, it was a script that nobody took seriously, right? Correct. This was written by Rod Serling, right? Creator of the Twilight Zone. And uh, there's, there's two two writers of the movie. Like the first writer was Rod Serling, the, yeah. the creator of the Twilight Zone. But his script was way too big. His script was uh, a more, more representative of the novel. With uh, cars, right? And skyscrapers. That's what I yeah. read. Yes, yes. Basically, the novel... Same kind of premise, except when they reach the the planet of the apes and find the humans and get massacred by the gorillas, the apes, people hunting them. Those ape people are not on horseback. They're in helicopters. The apes have a completely modern civilization. They're post-war, post, I think, disease. I'm not sure. But they have, like, shops and mannequins with eight people wearing clothes and stuff. It, it's a very advanced, maybe even more advanced than human society. Mm -hmm. The movie was about, or the original book was more about incarceration because the writer was a prisoner of war. Uh, I can't, I don't remember which war it was, probably war, World War II, but I'm not, I'm not sure. And it also had to do with complacency because in that book, humans didn't nuke themselves away. They got lazy. They let intelligent apes take service jobs. And eventually the humans didn't do anything. They relied on the apes for everything and then grew dumb and the apes grew smart. Mm. Right? Pe studios didn't like that. They didn't think that talking apes was a believable... Like, intelligent apes were, were that believable. Well, they thought people were going to audiences were going to laugh yes because not only of the idea but also of the execution they were worried about how a, a man or a woman in an ape costume would look because this is the yes. 60s right you it's either going to look fake or it's going to look super phony and tongue-in-cheek kind of yeah uh, so when rod serling took the project 
you know, he he likes making things that speak to that that have like well, it has some social commentary to it. I mean, look yes. at any episode from the Twilight Zone. And in fact, I think he kind of ripped himself off, to be honest, um, especially with that ending. So in adapting the original book, it became less about the complacency and more about humans' um, self-destructive tendencies being the reason why they're no longer the dominant species of Earth, mm -hmm. right? It's because they, they took themselves out with their greed and, and warmongering. And the apes were still in a very civilized society. Helicopters came and took out the humans. Mm -hmm. But then the studio was like, it's going to be too expensive to yep. make this stuff and people might not believe it. So as the as time went on, the apes got dumber. And eventually Rod Serling left the project. But you know, you can still see parts of his work. Well the ending influence. Primarily. The ending is, primarily. The yeah. Statue of Liberty was in the earliest drafts of yeah. the Planet of the Apes. And they had Michael Wilson come in. Michael and Wilson it, came in. Where yeah, he rewrote he, it. He wrote rewrote it to make the apes a bit more primitive. Mm -hmm. to adjust for the for the budget which makes sense yeah from a from a budgetary standpoint building all these skyscrapers and stuff that's expensive that's a lot of map painting and yeah. helicopters and stuff five million it's just not enough to cover all of that and on top of that you have to account for how many apes are going to be on screen and how many are going to have makeup applied to them yes makeup and prosthetics because all of that costs money and it you have to make it believable because it's yes. kind of a serious movie. If you don't, I mean, this film could have easily, easily sucked balls if the makeup was not good. And yeah, thank God it did not, mm -hmm. because the makeup in this movie is fucking dope. It is really good. I'm surprised at how expressive that the apes are, given that this movie was made in 1968. Look, we could talk about how Charlton Heston has an age well. I could talk, I could, I could bitch and complain about how the story hasn't aged well, the allegory, uh, the visual effects, you, you mentioned that they were a little goofy, which they are, but the makeup is superior and so it was good. above the industry standards. So much so that John Chambers, the guy who made, who was the lead, who was in charge of all these makeup artists and the design of the apes, mm -hmm. they gave him an honorary Oscar because- wow. Because the makeup in this movie was so good. The Oscars didn't have a makeup category. What? This year. So he didn't win for this film. But they kind of, I think this film really started pushing the idea that makeup is an art. That you could do a lot of with it. And so they had to, they had to give him an Oscar, an honorary Oscar. Which I, which again, I think is the best part of this film. Because the apes look really good. Granted, yes, it's aged a little bit, but you can tell how the apes feel. You could tell what they're emoting. You could you could kind of tell from their just from their face what what part how how they feel about Taylor and where they stand on the social ladder. You know, because I mean, you were talking about orangutans, yeah. but just kind of the way that they express emotions and stuff yeah because what's the uh dr zero yeah 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 she she's the best one i knew oh, you were gonna say before you even said it she's the best character yeah she's she's my favorite character in the, in the whole film when they're giving taylor a blood transfusion from nova and then you have zira kind of looking over him you could see you have dr you have dr zayas 
who kind of looks at Taylor like he's uh, like beneath him, kind of in a way. Yeah. But Doctor yeah. Zero has this expression of curiosity. She wants to. There's something about Taylor that she just can't quite put her finger on, but she has a feeling. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. that that scientist that knows there's something there. Doctor Zayas is just. He's mean mugging Taylor the whole time. He looks mm -hmm. like a fucking judgmental priest or nun from Catholic school. You know, or it's just like, mm, I don't like that you're doing this. And Jesus looks down on you. You know what I mean? <laughs> he just kind of has that demeanor about him. And that's all expressed through the makeup. And, the, yeah. and again, these are actors wearing prosthetics and stuff. And that's really tough to convey. And it looks yeah. very, very good. Very convincing. Yeah. There was never a moment where, very few moments where I was like, oh, it looks a little off there. Because mm -hmm. they have so many, because they have so many extras, they can't put the same care and attention on yeah. every single one. You can, because you can tell like so much in the second one, because there's a, a section in the movie where they have all the orangutans in one spot, all the gorillas in one spot, and the chimps. And if you look around the crowd, it's like, man, some of y'all didn't even try. To get a, a gorilla mask. Which you know it's, what I mean? I mean, it's tough. It, I read that it took upwards of six hours to do makeup for some of Jesus. these. But they eventually created an assembly line. And they got it down to a little over three hours. But that's three hours. Yeah, three hours of your day. There are a lot of extras here. Especially when Taylor's running around the 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 grounds and he's being chased. You could just... Yeah. There are he goes 20. through the entire Ape City and you see all these like weird things and these apes are like oh my god a human exactly and sometimes when some of the extras would talk it's not it's like their their the the mouth part isn't attached to their lips so the mask isn't moving yeah. but it's a it's a very minor it's not even a critique honestly all it's the characters the, that matter like they're they they took their time with them very much so and i think that is for me the biggest thing that has aged so well about this film it's it in it made Definitely. it worth it for me because it's just even you're watching it now it's like wow this is impressive like the men and women behind this work their fucking asses off to bring yeah. these apes to life and it's a crazy concept think about it you're reading a script where apes are running the world and they have this society it's like how are we actually going to bring this to life without looking cheesy as fuck and they did it they yeah. did it and I'm happy to say that every apes film has done that to a certain extent. I said earlier that you could tell where Hollywood is at technologically by the ape films. And I still stand by that because Hollywood took a big leap forward with this one. Mm -hmm. The Tim Burton one, say what you want about the film, but the makeup looks incredible. The makeup, it's like they took the work that John Chambers did and elevated on it. It's incredible yeah. to see. Incredible. And then you look at what Andy Serkis and and the VFX company behind. You should Rise give Andy Serkis an Oscar for all the work he's been doing. For I these think the computer. entire team yeah. behind that deserves major, major props. The VFX company, Andy Serkis, everyone involved, because it is the it is the next step in evolution, <laughs> <laughs> and and they succeeded on every front. You know, yeah, maybe Beneath of the Planet of the Apes didn't succeed as well as this one, but I mean. You have to also take into consideration budget, time, constraint, you know, extras. And yeah, I'm sure that the primary apes in all five of the original films look great. I'm sure of it. Yeah. So you're talking about the the new writer that came in 
Do you remember his name? Uh, I have it. It's Michael Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson was a screenwriter who was deemed a hostile witness. I think is what they called him, or an uncooperative witness for the McCarthy. He, he was people. blacklisted. I think he was blacklisted. Yeah. <laughs> so the, I don't. If in case you're not aware, during like the early Cold War years, Hollywood—they thought that communists had infiltrated Hollywood, and they had a bunch of trials to figure out who was a communist or whatever. And some people didn't name names, right? Because they're protecting their their fellow writers. And you know, some people who protected their friends um, paid the price by being blacklisted, so they they weren't allowed to work in the movie industry unless they used like a pseudonym or something. So. When Michael Wilson took over writing the screenplay for Planet of the Apes, he added that trial scene. I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he added it because of the hearings. But I figured it was a scene that was going to be in there. But now that I know the context behind it, it's like, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. the The trial isn't a real trial. You know what I mean? It's just kind of there because it's their law. The the verdict is already in. You know, they're yeah, going to they, try to execute this. There guy. was no way. There was no way they were changing their minds about Taylor. Yeah, just like the U.S. government wasn't changing its mind about the, about these communists. Yeah, and this it goes deeper than that because I read this this uh, huge like thirty page like um, essay dissertation maybe I don't know, <laughs> but they talked about the process of the, the writing process of it right, and they talked about how. They, tr- they wanted people to take this movie seriously. Mm-hmm. So much so that they did like a test. Oh, they a, did a makeup test. Yes. With an early version of Rod Serling's script where they had Charlton, the, Charlton Heston was yeah. in it. They even had the actress who plays Nova um, be Dr. Zira in, in that short scene. In conjunction with the release of this movie, they also um, put together this program where they would sell um, kind of like how to understand Planet of the Apes to schools so that it could be taught to children. It could be appreciated on an academic level. That's the lengths that they went to to get people to take this movie seriously. Damn, they really want... Yeah. That was their biggest fear was being a joke, being the laughingstock of the industry. Yeah, but then you have that, that goofy scene... In the trial, where they do the hear no evil, see no evil, yeah, speak I saw no that. evil. And it, it's so, I did not like that part. Because I feel like it took way too long for one of the monkeys to like get his hands over his mouth. And it was just, it just seemed really forced. Like, I, on, well, there's two things about that, what you just said. Number one, I never understood what the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. I don't get where that's from. I don't get it. All I know is that. The wrestler Kane was in a movie called See No Evil. That was the first time <laughs> I'd ever heard that phrase. And people are like, no, it's a thing. It's like, you know, see no evil, speak no evil. Here's it. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I don't know what this is. I've never bothered to Google it. Uh, the proverb the proverb and the image are often used to refer to a lack of moral responsibility on the part of people who refuse to acknowledge impropriety, looking the other way, or feigning ignorance. Which is I think what is why it's used in this movie. That, I mean, I, I saw that. I didn't care. 
I, I the <laughs> only reason I recognized it was because I saw it on Friends. Oh my god. In terms of goofiness, though, I don't think that's the goofiest thing. This movie has a ton of goofy shit. There's a lot of goofy shit. In There's this movie. so much goofy shit, which I'm, which makes me wonder, was it intentionally goofy or did were they just not sure it was going to come off that way? Because don't get get don't get me twisted. The monkeys, the apes, they're really cool. Like they don't look fake. But there's shit around that that looks and feels goofy. Like from the beginning, like the front of the ship is where they're all sleeping. Like yeah. no, you have a living quarters. Maybe that's a maybe that's <laughs> a budget thing. All right, I fine. think it's a budget thing. It probably might be a budget thing. But then like when they land on the spaceship or when they land when they crash land on the planet. And they get out of their raft from the lake. Uh, one, I landed. Going, I think. going, gone. <laughs> like, dude, yeah. your fucking friend is dead on that ship. Yeah, she. Her, you couldn't bury her or anything. <laughs> um, and, and did, didn't someone mention it that times? Like, someone she just died, and it's like, well, she's not crying for us or some bullshit like that. I call her Eve because Stuart. that's what. Stuart. Oh, that's right. Her name's yeah, Stuart. She has I just a call it name. And then fucking Taylor says she was our Eve. Stuart was supposed to be our Eve. I'm like, dude, she was a scientist, not there to make babies. You fucking piece of shit. Yeah, like that's kind of cheesy. The the God, the scene where Landon is like putting up the American flag, and then George uh, Taylor's Taylor just laughs. like laughing. The 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 laugh isn't even in sync. They used a post laugh. It's not, he's like, ha ha, and there's the zoom in? Yeah. Jesus Christ, what is... <laughs> okay. A lot of his lines are given, like, this weird, like, man, why'd you go so hard on that line? God, yeah. When he's getting hosed down, he's like... Damn you, Julius. He or I'm in a madhouse. It's a madhouse. <laughs> like I get him saying the line, get your damn dirty paws off of me, you apes, or whatever whatever that line is. Yeah. I get I get why he says it that way. But just it's a madhouse. <laughs> <laughs> damn you, you hairy scum! Shut up, you freak! Julius, you I said shut up! It's a madhouse! A madhouse! It makes me laugh. The The thing that made me most laugh, the, the thing that got the biggest laugh out of me, <laughs> you, you might have not noticed, but my, my mind went directly there. I couldn't help it. But the scene where they jump into the lake and they get naked, right? Yeah. Hey, you know what? Couple of bros enjoying the lake. Oh yeah, hey. when they they drop down in the frame and he's still standing up there, and it's like, <laughs> it's like, are you serious? <laughs> they, they got no problem being having that man's dick right in if front we, of their face. If we put reminded, that in the promo, like we would get flagged for pornography. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me. I kind of want this to be the ad because I imagined <laughs> the. The scene with Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell in Crazy Stupid Love. I've never seen that movie. Crazy Stupid Love's a really good movie, man. I recommend it. It's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> so that scene where they're like checking out the bag or checking out the stuff that was taken. That just reminded me of yeah. Ryan Gosling's schlong. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> I made a note of that. Oh. <laughs> I had to like. Oh, that was funny. I had to like go back and like, did they really just do that? Yeah, it's so obvious I don't know if we ex- too. I don't know if we explained it, but there's a scene in this movie where they get naked and go. They find water, so the astronauts get naked and take a bath, and then something's on the ground, and the astronauts duck down to like to inspect it. But Charlton Heston, he stays standing. So if you're watching this without any context, it looks like they're they're going down on him. <laughs> like their heads are just below the bottom of the frame. Yeah. And he so they're kneeling down with his long in their face. Like right in their face. Yeah. And it looks super pornographic. <laughs> I thought I was the only one that noticed it. I thought Austin was going to be like, "Oh my god, George, get your head out the gutter." I mean, get your head out the gutter, but yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> it, this this movie is full of goofy shit like that. Yeah, totally. Do you know what kind of bothered me, though? What? Is the characterization of Nova. Bro, she had none. She had no character. She's just there to look hot and be interested in Taylor. It's literally I, all she was there for. I felt bad for her because... I felt bad for the actress because she... Doesn't speak. Okay, fine. Yeah, okay. Primate, she has no agency. Primate human. Can't talk, fine. But she doesn't even do anything. Like She, she, does, she nothing. does nothing. Like, there's not a scene where Taylor's about to be, uh, you know, bamboozled. Or he's about to be ganged up or whatever. And she doesn't, like, grab a gun and shoot the, shoot the ape or whatever. Or, you know, she doesn't. She does, she does nothing. She, st- nothing. she literally serves no purpose. She looks longingly at him when they separate her from him in his cage. And the way that she walks around, like she doesn't walk around like a cave person. She she walks around like, oh, I'm a pretty girl. I need a strong man to help me. Oh, help me. In the second one, it's even worse. Because she, oh. oh my God, the way she walks. I could imagine one of the producers being like, listen, honey, you're looking yeah. fine, but you need to look fine. I want you to do this walk. See, there's a girl at my local club who walks like this, and I want you to do it. It's like, I don't really know. Like, you know, I'm yeah. supposed to be like a primate human or whatever. It's like, no, sweetie, do it, or you won't get another <laughs> job in this business now. You hear? <laughs> That's what it yeah. was. I, I felt yeah. so bad for her. I, I felt, I, really, I felt really shitty, bro. I'm like, she served no purpose. I think she was like a producer's girlfriend. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I read it. The f- Richard Linda Lincoln. Harrison is her name. Linda Harrison. She Linda the second Harrison. wife of producer Richard Zanuck. Zanuck, yeah. I think he was a producer on this movie. No, I think he was uh he was the head of production at 20th Century Fox. Oh, he became the president of 20th Century Fox. There's a yeah. building in the Fox Studio that's named after him. Zanuck. There you go. And look, Linda Harrison, I don't want to talk I don't want to shit talk her. She might be a great actress. I've it's never not seen her it. fault. It's though. not her fault at but, all. But this was definitely a role where it's like, hey, I want her to be because you said earlier that she was zero, right? Or, she was zero in the, the test uh, scene. They might have they not don't. been impressed with her because they didn't bring her back for the role. They also didn't bring in the other guys that they had at the screening. They instead yeah. brought Kim Hunter to play uh, the doctor, which, hey, she did a Who's fantastic amazing. job. She's great. She, best character in the film. And when Taylor kissed her at the end, I was like, I wanted to kiss Kim Hunter by the end of it. Because I was like, <laughs> Jesus. thank you. Thank what you for understanding. Say? He says, he says uh, I'd like to kiss you. 
in front of her husband and in front of Nova. Hey, man. And she's like, but you're so ugly. <laughs> she still does it, though. <laughs> she she grabs. Well, I think he, uh, I don't know. It's not forced, but it's not exactly consensual. Like she doesn't no, want I to think, do it. I think no. I think she did want to kiss him. I think she mm. just didn't feel a hundred percent like. I think there might be there was a, a sense of attraction. I don't think it was just. An, mm. I don't think there was um, not inherently sexual or anything. But I think she was curious about Taylor, and the more she started learning about him, the more. There, there was kind of a weird attraction there. And yeah, she's yeah. like, she's like, yeah, but you're ugly. She doesn't <laughs> say it like, ew, you're ugly. No. She's kind of like, I think she's just trying to maybe just make not make the scene as awkward as possible, but she still kind of low-key wants to. I don't know. It's it's, it's weird. Complicated. It's I complicated. think the movie would have been better if it was about them getting together. You know, if there wasn't a Nova, it was just him yeah, and her. I was thinking that too. Oh, oh my God. I literally, that's, that's what I thought after I finished the film. I would like, it wouldn't have been kind of cool if the film had really re- revolved around Taylor and, and, uh, and Zira. Yeah. Right. Like they're kind of learning from each other and they're progressing and she's a doctor and she's trying to help Taylor, but Taylor, you know, uh, kind of wants to help them in terms of figuring out what the fuck is happening and yeah. send, take them to the Definitely. I think it would have, again, no, no shit on Linda Harrison. I don't think she was the problem. I think it was just the role. I think this movie needed more Zira and Taylor together. And I yeah. think in a way, Zira makes Taylor more likable. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. when they do kiss, I kind of like that scene. You know, <laughs> it's weird. But, you know, just the way she said the line, like, yeah, but you're ugly. <laughs> there, there was there was some chemistry there. I think, yeah, there was. I think it's just a testament to how good uh kim hunter is i think yeah yeah i think she carried a lot of the scenes for me i think when she was on screen and talking i was yeah. definitely paying a little bit more attention because it's like we have a reasonable person there's a reasonable adult in the room yeah. like you don't like you, you have taylor who's just being chaotic reasonably so yeah. he's just like being like the the prototypical american cowboy protagonist and then you have the other people who dr Zayas, who's just being an asshole you know, mm-hmm. I mean, rightly so, because humans did destroy Earth in this timeline. But, you know, he, come on. I think she was like the adult in the room was like, let's just look at this and let's I don't want anyone to get hurt. Can't we just talk about this? This is a jury. This is a trial. Let's treat it yeah. like, like so. And I she was my favorite. She's my favorite character. Doctor, I'd like to kiss you goodbye. All right, but you're so damned ugly. Something I wanted to get into that I found real interesting. I don't know if you saw, but during the lunch breaks for the production of the film, I guess subconsciously the crew and cast and extras just got into like this notion of dividing themselves by the species. Wow. So, like, the humans would eat with the humans, and the chimpanzee extras would sit with the chimpanzee extras, and the orangutans, <laughs> and the gorillas would, every, and they would all eat separate. And this confused the producers. It confused Charlton Heston, too, because they, they couldn't explain it. Like, it, it wasn't like the assistant director said, okay, all the chimpanzee extras sit here, uh, because you guys yeah. are, no, there was no 
it was just lunch, and for some reason, the species wouldn't mingle with each other. <laughs> I thought that was really fascinating. If anything, I kind of want to see what like uh, sociologists might make of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's kind of an interesting thing. Because you know, everybody knows they're all human. Like, there's no, it's a movie. You're on set. So why would you do that? You know what I mean? Like, I could understand if, like, oh, I'm a chimpanzee extra, and I've been hanging around the chimpanzees all day, and so I made friends. I'm friends with this other chimpanzee extra. His name's Austin. Yeah, he's kind of stupid. He's kind of stupid, but I'll hang out wow. with him. You know, I'll eat with him in lunch, and hopefully we could talk. You know what I mean? But- At least he doesn't think he's a monkey like George over there. <laughs> but that's so weird. <laughs> that's so interesting. I. It is really interesting. And it kind of just, in a way, lends itself to part of the theme of the movie. Us versus them. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a a weird way, obviously. Not totally one for one, but it's just a a funny observation. Another thing I wanted to talk about was, you watched the sequel, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. I did watch the sequel. I did not. A lot of things I like about the movie, overall, lukewarm on it. Uh, maybe maybe I need to watch it in like 50 years and then I'll love it again. There have been a lot of films I've seen the first time that I didn't love. I hated Fight Club the first time I saw it. The first time I saw Fight Club, my dad spoiled it for me. Oh, really? In a really funny way. <laughs> Wait, what do you do? Um, well, spoilers for Fight Club. But I was in the middle of watching the movie. My dad walks in and he's like, is this the one where Edward Norton and Brad Pitt are the same person? <laughs> and I'm like... No, they're two different people. Look, and then as the movie's going on, I'm like, oh, my God, this makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, dad. But it's I don't know, like for that movie is specialty because of that moment. You know, yeah. it's a really funny thing. It's it's a it's a funny memory. I'll give yeah. you that. Yeah, I yeah, I, how, like your uncle spoiled it or the DV. I guess your uncle didn't spoil it. This is the VHS cover. Never mind. Yeah. But um no, I yeah, I wasn't, you know, there's a lot of films I didn't like the first time. I, again, I wasn't totally hot not for Arrival, but as I've seen that movie, I've loved it. So maybe maybe that's all this movie needs. But I did I had more memories of the 2001 Planet of the Apes. I barely remember that one. And I figured, hey, since we already talked about Willy Wonka and we made a whole big deal about the Tim Burton film as well, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to watch the Tim Burton remake again. Oh, he did? <laughs> I did. I rewatched it. Uh, I, I follow. if that's That has to be a rule now. If we do a film that was remade by Tim Burton, I have to watch the Tim Burton remake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just because I did it with Wonka and I did it here now too. But I, I rewatched the 2001 film. And you know what? What? I don't think it's the worst thing. I don't think it's that hmm. bad. I know people like to shit on it and be like, this is the worst film and it's awful compared to the original and stuff. What's different about it? Most of the film in the original 68, it takes place in the cages, like in the city. Planet of the Apes, not really. They have way more of a backstory. Like we spend probably 10, 15 minutes in the spaceship, right? We meet Mm -hmm. some of the other astronauts and there's uh, an inciting incident. A chimpanzee that... Mark Wahlberg is like kind of looking after gets lost in this uh, EMT wormhole thing. Right. 
Right. So he goes after the he goes after the monkey. One of the things that was ridiculed for the original ending for 2001 was when Mark Wahlberg he escapes off the planet, right? So they yeah. have a they have a battle where the monkeys the, all the apes fight with the humans and the chimpanzee that Mark Wahlberg was looking for actually lands, right? In the oh. middle of the battle and all the apes think that he is that the chimp is their god, right? What? Which yeah, it's it's weird. It's very strange. And so Mark Wahlberg now has a spaceship that he uses to try to go back to his <laughs> original wormhole, right? Uh-huh. He finds Earth, lands, and this is the whole Abraham, Abraham Lincoln Abraham Lincoln thing, right? And people think that's a stupid ending. It really doesn't work. And I thought about that. And I watched the video on YouTube kind of explaining like how they theorized it. It's kind of cool, actually. Low key, like I wouldn't say it's better. It's kind of similar to how the original one ends, like the the book, because in the book, uh, the guy's not called Taylor, but he escapes with Nova and their their uh, their son because the son can talk and he thinks that the apes are going to do something to his, his child, so they escape um, and land on Earth, and on Earth they're confronted by a gorilla that's driving the jeep and in that ending you kind of achieve rod serling's original vision oh no the 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 writer the 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 author of the book yeah the author you had his original vision which was um hey let's let's have him be in a society that's you know super up to date and stuff and or they thought it was futuristic but i mean close enough yeah I mentioned earlier that uh, Rod Serling kind of ripped himself off Mm -hmm. because there's this um, Twilight Zone episode called I Shot an Arrow into the Sky. I think that's it. I Shot an Arrow into the Air. It Mm. was... The original air date was January 15th, 1960. Now... The, it starts off very similar to Planet of the Apes. You have these astronauts on a mission, and they have limited resources. And as time goes on, they're wandering this desert. The air is safe to breathe, you know, but they can't find any civilization. And one of the astronauts is like, well, if everyone has to eat, we're all going to die sooner. So he starts killing off his astronauts oh, to, Jesus. you know, get more food and stay alive longer. Then, like, the last guy is trying to, like, say something to him. He's, like, drawing something on the sand, but he, he kills him. And then he's continues his trek. He's all alone. And then he sees something, and he's like, oh, my God. My partner was trying to draw a telephone pole because they had never left Earth. The final reveal is that you see, like, a highway and telephone poles and everything. Doesn't oh, that sound familiar? That sounds very familiar <laughs> uh if anything i want to watch that episode now yeah and it's a lot shorter than planet of the apes and it just kind of sounds a little more crazy which yeah i mean this movie's wild but that just sounds like oh, sorry austin you gotta go man go where please oh totally eat you no now you wouldn't oh i totally would no i i remember you made a list of uh all your friends that you would eat in the order that you would eat them in, I'm pretty low on that list. But I would still, I would still 
eat you. You're like not on the no no. I'm not gonna see. I'm not gonna let you. If I know you're eating somebody, I'm not gonna let you continue eating them. I would eat them quietly. Just you do nothing quietly. Let's be real here. (laughs) (laughs) Get him a body bag. (laughs) Get him a body bag. Um, What's the other thing you want to talk about? The other thing I wanted to mention (laughs) (laughs) is the there's a way that the the apes in the movie that are in charge um, they ignore the data, right? They ignore the data that suggests that humans used to be intelligent. They used to have a culture. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that sound familiar? Yes, it does. Sounds a lot uh, like what we did, where we disregarded other people's cultures and stuff and just said, nope, they're uh, they're less than us. We we just ignore that. Look the other way. And it's it's scientific data that contradicts what is convenient for maintaining the status quo. Yes. You have something that clearly says, no, this is not how it works. And then you have people like, well, I make the rules, so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> But we can't shut down the economy. <laughs> this movie, a lot of the ways, it's like this attitude of science has not changed. It's really like sad because like, I mean, even when it was released, right, there is a lot of, uh, you know, because they wanted to keep costs down, they made the apes dumb. And in making the apes dumb, they uh, made their religion more important. And their religion became the thing that's like holding them back from progressing with technology and stuff. Uh, so a lot of religious groups, they kind of took issue with it. They're like, oh, you're you're pitting religion against science. This is typical liberal Hollywood and all that stuff. Um, but I think it, it like religion isn't the reason the reason they're um, undermining Dr. Zira's research and Cornelius's archaeological expeditions. The reason they're doing it is because they know that the humans wipe themselves out and they're dangerous Mm -hmm. but still like the way they're like kind of sweeping information under the rug to maintain the status quo is something that still we're still happening still happening today well it's it's that mentality that you know what i don't give a fuck what the data says like it is not convenient for us yeah or there's a general distrust so fuck them i mean we're seeing it right now with the coronavirus and the vaccines you know what i mean it's it's still around I think it's 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 fear. Dr. Zayas did it because he feared that if people found out that it would lead to humans, if they found out that they that humans did this to the planet, that oh well, they're no, they they can communicate, they have a capacity to learn, so they'll just learn again and destroy us, obliterate us again, like they um, did to themselves. Exactly. There's no the idea that maybe we could learn from our mistakes is non-existent yeah and in that i mean like i can kind of see where dr zayas is coming from more so than i can see why people are trying to like undermine the the, how dangerous the the coronavirus is because if it if you look and see the data see how dangerous it is and how much of a problem it is it means you have to confront it you know and if you don't confront it you don't have to deal with it but you kind of do you know, again, again so, I think you're it, right. I think I I could see where Dr. Zayas is coming from, too. But it's also like, bro, this this isn't going to work out. Yeah. And that's one that's the saving grace of the sequel 
because of this like um this fear and hatred that he makes the apes feel for humanity it comes back to bite him in the ass in the second one and that's the only saving that's one of the only saving graces of the second one for that reason i i would recommend watching it it is boring the first half is really boring and then the second half is like it's kind of stupid but but seeing dr zeus sort of like you know his plan fail is kind of like yeah well that's why you can't make people stupid to keep inconvenient information from getting out you yeah. know what i mean like that no. problem still exists you can't just ignore it the sentiments that this movie have are still very real and relevant right and that's one of the reasons i can't hate the film because what it's yeah. saying it, because it's talking real truth the the way scientists are treated the way uh humans i mean we we have a tendency to be self-destructive you know we've built weapons that could that could obliterate us even the um even the 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 reboot the 2001 there's a tim roth's character finds a gun right <laughs> and his dad who's on his deathbed played by charlton heston <laughs> uh charlton heston tells tim roth like this gun this weapon has the power of a thousand spears mm. and he's kind of not wrong yeah and it just makes you wonder, like, oh, shit, we that's just a pistol. We have way bigger things that could destroy us. <sighs> yeah. So yeah. this movie, this movie is very upfront about where it's coming from. And it's still shit that we have to deal with, which is kind mm -hmm. of tragic because you'd feel like, wow, would have liked to have been over this. But yeah, maybe we might never we might never get over it. Well, I, I you know, I hope I hope we do. We could be optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's pretty much it for our episode. Oh, before I, I finish, I want to talk about one thing about the legacy of this film. So Rod Serling's vision was kind of rewritten by... Um, Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson, right. So we don't really get to see my, Rod Serling's vision of, of Planet of the Apes. But there is a graphic novel adaptation it's, it's a graphic novel adaptation by Dana Gold and Chad Lewis called Planet of the Apes Visionaries. And it kind of um, tells a story from Rod Serling's like unfilmed um, screenplay. Damn. Yeah. I kind of want, want, want to see what that looks like. I, I haven't read it, but... Seeing the original vision, seeing the original vision of something is kind of always interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like there, there's the creator and then there's his creation. And sometimes a lot of shit in the middle fucks with it. So I am kind of curious to see what his version would have looked like with a bigger budget, obviously, which with no budget, you know? Yeah, because you can like in a graphic novel, you're not limited by things that you actually have to physically construct. Yes. You don't have to map painting an entire yeah. skyscraper and make up put makeup on thousands of extras or yeah. hundreds Gee, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that and it's really funny that they all like sat together man i'm telling you it's it's insane great. six hours per person jesus christ so what is your quote all right my quote is the line like the line of from the scripture that cornelius reads that dr zayas makes cornelius read beware the beast man 
for he is the devil's pawn. Alone among God's primates, he kills for sport or lust or greed. Yea, he will murder his brother to possess his brother's land. Let him not breed in great numbers, for he will make a desert of his home and yours. Shun him, drive him back into the jungle lair, for he is the harbinger of death. Okay, I feel that. My quote is from Lucius. It's like, he says, <laughs> you can't trust the older generation. And that's kind of that. how I feel about this movie. <laughs> yeah, older generation telling me, this is a great movie. This is a fantastic movie. I'm watching, I'm like, eh. And this what's right. funny is that Charlton Heston replies to him like, yep, don't trust anyone over 30. You know how old this man is? When this, he's old. He's 45 years old. <laughs> oh, God damn it. He's literally telling us not to trust him. No, see, and you he, know what? I'm actually changing my quote. It's going to be the Harvey Dent, Harvey Dent one. You either die a hero or live long <laughs> enough to see yourself become the villain. That's the quote that I choose for this movie. You know what? Not not going to um, fault you for that. It's, it's pretty fun. This, pretty this fun. whole movie is literally that quote. Yeah. But no. I, I mean, look. I, I know I dogged it for a bit. I still recommend it because it is interesting to see something 50 years ago still be very relevant today you know in terms of the yeah. ideas behind it and the super depressing ending which if you haven't if you haven't had the ending spoiled for you i mean we did it earlier. we kind of spoiled it we spoiled it but i mean we're gonna you know, spoil every movie we we talk about on the episode um just a warning even, even if it's spoiled just give it a watch so you could just see it because it is kind of bleak there's no real yeah. music and it just ends the score is haunting well, th there's no score when he's on his knees. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it comes in later. Yeah. But it's kind of bleak, and I love it. Uh, it's not something that we always see. So it left an, it leaves an, it leaves an impression. And even though I had known what was going to happen, I do want to see this film. I wish I could watch this film for the first time. You know what I mean? Like, just yeah. not knowing anything. And yeah. I want to see what I would have felt like not having seen that, but... Yeah. All right. So that concludes our episode of Planet of the Apes, directed by. Oh, we didn't even mention. We didn't talk about the director at all. <laughs> the, yeah. No. It's oh, the movie it's, was directed by Franklin J. Schaffner. 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 Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, that concludes our episode. Thank you for listening. Please remember to rate us five stars wherever you listen to your podcasts we upload our episodes every other week you can follow us on our social medias on twitter we are at retrograde underscore pod twitter or uh, instagram at retrograde underscore pod we have a website retrogradepod.com thank you guys for listening appreciate it let us know what you think of the episode uh, and if you have any opinions, share them with us. Send us a DM. Slide into my DMs. I will take yeah. it. Nobody slides in my DMs, so you will be <laughs> the first person. You have all my attention. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Lonely, but wonderful. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Very, thank you very much, guys. We'll see you on the next one. See ya. See ya.